welcome everybody. It is great to be back in here for worship today, isn't it? Absolutely. You're thrilled? I am. You can clap for that. Yeah, as many of you are aware, for the past three weekends, we've had to shift our worship services back to online only. And that was just as a safety precaution due to the fact that many of the members of our leadership here at New Life either had a positive test or were, we were all exposed to each other. And so uh, we just, as over an abundance of caution, um, did that. And I appreciate your understanding and I appreciate your patience as we... We are just striving to prayerfully um, work through the best decisions for our church family. I appreciate all the grace you've extended uh, our way for that. But praise God, we all came through it. Everybody seems to have bounced back from their experience with COVID, and I'm thrilled to be worshiping here together with you. And for those of you who are joining us online right now, I am so thankful that the technology exists for you to be joining us right now. I am thankful that we have brilliant people in this church that know how to make all the buttons work on all of those things, to make all of this come together so that we can be together and I, I can't wait till we can all join together live again. I look forward to that day. Don't you look forward to that day? When we're all gonna be here today, when we all share the same level of comfort of joining together, and I do believe that that day is coming. I do not think this is our normal. I do believe that day is coming, and I look forward to it. I don't know what you pray for, but I can tell you something that I pray for often. I pray that God will just completely eradicate the coronavirus from our world. That's what I pray for. I pray for that often, whether that be through the snap of his fingers, and don't you know God has the power to snap his fingers and it all goes away. I, I pray for that. Or through the vaccine, or maybe, I don't know, I'm just getting, we all grow immune to it, or it maybe just disappears from our land. However God chooses to do it, I'm perfectly fine with that. But I pray for that often, and I wanna encourage you to do that as well. But until that day comes, I am thankful that the technology exists so our church family can stay together and stay connected no matter whether you're worshiping at home or worshiping overseas or worshiping right here in person. And I just pray, for those of you that still are not quite comfortable yet to, to uh, join in person, um, I just pray that the Lord continue to guide you in making the, uh, the, the best decision for yourself and for the family. And I know this will all be behind us one day. Now, last week, uh, we started in Romans chapter 14, and I'm going to ask you to go back to Romans chapter 14. So if you would, grab your Bibles and, and open up to 14. Maybe you put your little Bible ribbon in there from last week, and it's easy to find. But that's where we're going to be. And while you're finding Romans 14, let me just refresh your memory just a little bit. And if you weren't here, let me catch you up to where we're at, because the next part of Romans 14 very much just dovetails off of what we studied last week. So they're going to go together. So it's going to be important for you to have some understanding of, of the last week's message, if you didn't get to see it. Now, last week I shared with you that I believe there is a danger, and really there's many dangers, but I'm focusing on one that I believe has the potential to threaten the unity of the church today. And I'm not just talking about new life, I'm talking about the unity of the church, of all Christians. And here's that danger. It's the danger of allowing the opinions that divide our citizens and our country, and there are plenty of those, aren't there? But the opinions that divide our citizens and our country, the danger is allowing those same opinions and those same divisions to cause strife and disunity among God's family. I certainly believe it's a danger that exists and, and in today's culture that we are so divided. Our nation is as divided as I can ever remember a time in my life. Those divisions, don't you know, want to creep inside of God's family and cause the same ones here 
And I believe it's the real danger. Now, we know how God feels about this, don't we? It's all over the pages of the Bible. We know how he feels about his church. We know how he feels about his family and how they should behave and belong to one another. Probably Psalm 133.1 says it just about as good as anywhere. It just says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's a big deal. It's a real big deal. Now we know that one of mankind's greatest challenges is to do what? To live in the way that pleases God. It's a, it's a significant daily challenge. And when it comes to living in unity and accepting one another in a way that pleases the Lord, well, that takes great effort. That takes a tremendous amount of intention. I don't think a church, I don't think Christians unify together by accident. It's gotta be on purpose. And this is what Paul is talking about in Romans 14. Life is full of disagreements. Whenever you have people together, opinions weigh in. The, the opportunity for conflict and, and arguments is, is ripe almost in every environment. Well, we looked at last week that what is clear, there's plenty of things in this world that are black and, and, and white, right and wrong, good versus evil. You open up the Bible and it clearly spells it out. There are plenty of things that start with thou shalt not. And that really does clear up the air on a great number of things. But the Bible doesn't speak specifically on every single issue. And the question is, how do we as Christians go about making the best decisions possible when it comes to our opinions in these, these gray areas, what Paul called in our text last week, disputable matters. How do we navigate those things? Well, I'm thankful that the Bible does give us principles that help us today navigate our differences in opinions to maintain unity in the church. And that's what brings us to Romans 14. Last week, we looked at the first 12 verses together and we, we picked up some great principles on what Paul taught the church about how to navigate some of the disagreements they were having and what were some of those disagreements. Well, in the church in Rome, there were some Christians who believed that they were free to eat whatever they wanted. And then you had other Christians who were like, I, don't, I think eating that violates my conscience. There were some Christians said, we can celebrate any day we want. We, we, none of the special days, that's not a big deal to us. But other Christians were like, no, these days are sacred and holy and you better not mess with them. They were having these disagreements. And a lot of that goes back to their upbringing. You had Jewish people who obeyed the law from the time they were born all the way up to adulthood. They didn't eat certain foods. There was rules they lived by. But when they became Christians, there was a freedom that came with that. They were bound by, by, by not the law so much. They were bound by the grace of Jesus. Then you had Gentile Christians who never obeyed any of those kind of rules that the Jewish people did. They were becoming Christians too. You had Jewish people and Gentiles all coming together under the banner of Jesus Christ and they didn't see eye to eye on things. So Paul addresses them as weak and strong. If you remember the first 12 verses, some of the church in Rome were weak and some of the church in Rome were strong. He's not saying some were more saved and some were less saved. He wasn't saying some were stronger Christians or lesser Christians. He was really talking about their conscience. Some of them were stronger in the sense that they had freedom to do certain things. They weren't bound. Others were weaker in conscience. In other words, I don't want to do those things. It violates my conscience. 
So that's how he addresses them. So out of that, these opinion deals and these Christians coming at it from different angles, there's some principles. And these were the principles that apply to us so heavy today. And if we would, if we would apply them, I think life would go a whole lot easier for us. He says, first of all, to the strong, those who feel like they have the freedom to eat meat and whatever else they wanted, he says, listen, don't despise those. Don't look down on those who aren't at the same place as you. And then he says to those who he says are weak in conscience, those that don't feel they have the freedom to eat whatever they want, he said, you know, don't condemn those who do. So these two principles accept one another by not looking down and not judging the others. Then the third principle was this, each person should be fully convinced in their own mind and they should do what they feel is right that will please their heavenly master. In other words, Paul made a big point last week to say, you are accountable to the Lord, I'm accountable to the Lord. Your number one priority in this world is to live your life and do the things that make you stand righteously before God. He is your judge and that's what you should be most concerned about. All of us are accountable to our heavenly father. That's your number one priority. We should keep that in mind. And then finally, this other principle, he said, listen, let's let God be the judge. It's not our job to judge your brother, sister, in Christ. And what he means by that is, if this person is walking in servitude to their king, King Jesus, they're accountable to him, ultimately one day God will judge that person. God's already got the judging part handled. That's not our job. So Paul's saying, don't try to take the place of God by judging that guy who's already accountable to God. You're, you're not, that's not your job. So there were these four principles that hung over the first uh, 12 verses of Romans 14. Now we're gonna start in Romans 14, verse 13, and go to the end of the chapter, and we're gonna see that Paul is gonna offer a few more principles that's gonna help us navigate these opinions that we often find ourselves squabbling over. And just for clarity, let me make sure we're all, all on the same page. What are these disputable matters that Paul is talking about? What is it exactly? Well, we should understand that today is this. It are things that aren't specifically addressed in Scripture. Okay, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about things that have zero bearing on somebody's salvation. Really, we're talking about our opinions, the opinions that often divide people that don't have any bearing on a person's salvation. It's amazing how those kinds of things can divide a brother and sister in Christ. And our opinions can be about anything. The temptation when it comes to our opinions is to think that our opinion is right and you are dead wrong. That's human nature. I do that, you do that, and we have this temptation, I'm right, you're wrong. But here's what Paul is addressing. It's not so much a matter about you being right and they're being wrong, it's that you are looking down on them. You are not accepting them. It's like saying, if you don't think like me, I don't think that we should go to the same service at church. You come Saturday night, I'll come Sunday morning. It's that I don't accept you. You, you must not be as strong a Christian as me. And listen, if, if you watched the news and you came to the same uh, different conclusion than I did, how in the world could you come to that conclusion? How could you think that about that guy? Well, I don't think you read the Bible. I don't think you're in touch with God. That's the, that's the temptation. This is what Paul is addressing. So last week, Paul's like, don't judge your brother. But he's not letting us off the hook. It doesn't mean that we do nothing. Hey, accept your brother, sister Christ, don't judge them, but it doesn't mean that you do nothing. In fact, what we're gonna learn today is the something that we are expected to do, and I'm just gonna tell you, what Paul expects us to do is harder than not judging. 
Because if you judge somebody, that can be an effortless thing. Oh, I don't, and you walk away, you've judged them, I don't accept you. I'm just being honest, that's easy. What Paul's gonna tell us our response should be instead is much more difficult. And here's essentially what Paul's gonna tell us today in the text. He says, we are responsible for the way that our conduct affects their lives. So it's not a matter of just not judging. We shouldn't do that. But Paul says, you who have a difference of opinion, don't you know that the way you behave and the way you go about yourselves and the way you carry yourself and the things you go and do and and the things that you involve yourself in, that bears some responsibility towards your brother or sister who doesn't feel the same way. Now, we're going to get into this a little bit more. We'll start in verse 13. Let me just tell you, I'm just going to walk down through the text verse by verse. So instead of reading the whole thing at once, I think it would be better for us today and what our efforts are to just go verse by verse. You got your Bibles open? Let's walk through it together. Verse 13 of chapter 14, Paul says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Now, let me point out something to you. I do it every time we come to this word. We see the word what in verse 13? Therefore. Whenever you're reading the Bible and you come across the word therefore, what are we supposed to do? Ask the question, what is it there for? So that therefore actually connects something for us. So the first part of Romans chapter 14 Paul lays out all of this stuff that I tried to review with you just a moment ago. So therefore, because of all of this, now I'm going to tell you what's coming next. It's a transitional thing. And he sums it up for them. These first 12 verses come down to this. Stop passing judgment. Take everything that I just told you, the first 12 verses, bottom line, don't judge one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your brother or sister. Paul uses two words here that we need to take to heart because they give us such a great mental picture. He says stumbling block. Don't judge, but don't be a stumbling block. What is a stumbling block? Well, I think of this when I think of a stumbling block. I think of like a street that's paved in stone and, and all the stones are supposed to be fairly unified and level or maybe it's a sidewalk. But don't you know occasionally one of those blocks becomes loose, it sticks up, or maybe they didn't put a block in there that was just like the others and it's raised a little bit and it creates a, a tripping hazard. That is a stumbling block. It's something that can potentially cause you to trip. You can have a hard fall. You can even end yourself. Now, this is the mental picture here that Paul has given the church. Don't do that. Don't be like that stumbling block that's going to cause somebody else to trip and fall. And he uses another word. The word is pitfall. Do you know what a pitfall is? A pitfall is a common trap that people use out in the wild to trap animals. They can be really small to track uh, trap even little bugs. They can be really big like this one that, boy, if you fell in that, you're not getting up, are you? I wouldn't want to come across that. They cover the top of it, and so it looks okay, but when the animal comes along and steps onto the soft grass or the dirt, whatever's there, they fall right in, and and they, they fall. You think about these two things, stumbling block, pitfall. Paul is telling the church, don't do either of those things. You have these differences of opinions. You believe differently about these opinionated things. Don't do that. Don't purposely cause harm. I mean, his point is really clear. We've got to do everything we can to avoid bringing down the spiritual downfall of a brother or sister of Christ. 
We've got to keep that in mind. When we're talking about things that we're not, not talking about simply bothering their senses. We're not talking about a conversation that hurts somebody's feelings. That's, that's not exactly what Paul's saying. We're talking about being something to somebody else that's going to lead them down the path of sin. That's going to trip up their walk with Jesus. That's going to ha- cause them to have a hard fall and potentially walk away from Jesus altogether. Now look at verse 14. Paul said, I am convinced being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Now, this is a radical idea, honestly. Now, think about this. Paul is, go ahead, what's he doing? He's siding with the strong. It's like Paul saying, listen, at the bottom line, I agree with all of you who feel like you're free to eat whatever you want. I agree with you. You know why? Because everything that God made is clean. This is drastically different from a Jewish person who was raised up to think a different way. He said, I agree with you. And he says, but, here's the but, if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. Now again, I just can't overstate what a big deal this is. This is Paul. If you know anything about Paul, he was born a Jewish person, raised up under what we would call the old covenant with all the rules and laws and what you eat and what you celebrate, and you, you walk the road to a T, and that's how you proved your allegiance before the Lord and your righteousness. To have somebody like Paul, who is now a follower of Jesus, saying, you know what, I agree with you. These foods, even the foods that I used to consider sinful, they are clean. It's just an incredible transition for him. And, and, and I can't overstate that enough. If you want to take a little bit deeper dive, what is the difference between these clean and unclean foods? I would take you back to the Old Testament book of Leviticus, go to the 11th chapter, and there you're going to find a long list of do's and don't do's when it comes to eating. And that's part of what is going on here. These, these Christians just could not separate their upbringing and what has always been right and wrong and also mesh that with following Jesus. And now all of a sudden having the freedom to do those things. But this would be quite a, a revolutionary statement for Paul to make, if you know his background. But it did leave the church with a dilemma. You know, here, here Paul saying, I acknowledge everything is clean and you're free to do that. But now the challenge is, should the Jewish Christians continue to just eat the way they've always eaten out of habit? Should they change their views, their opinions, as to demonstrate their freedom they now have in Christ? Most importantly, what should they say to others who are wrestling with this same question? So Paul's just saying, look, all of you Christians in Rome, all of this food is clean. However, if somebody's conscience says don't do it, then Paul says, then that is unclean for them, and they shouldn't do it. No, their salvation's not riding on this decision. But you know what? If you're not comfortable eating these kinds of meats, then maybe you shouldn't do it. Don't violate your conscience. Look at verse 15. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, in other words, if you have all this freedom and you do all this stuff and it causes them some distress, like what are you doing? You are no longer acting in love. Then he says, do not, by eating, destroy someone whom Christ died for. Boy, this is some words in here that he uses. He he uses a word that goes beyond hurting somebody. If if you're hurting somebody, 
don't do it. You're not acting in love. And if you say, I hurt somebody, I caused you some discomfort. I, I caused you some pain. But it's really, that's not the word he uses. It's, he's not saying, hey, listen, if you're hurting somebody's feelings because you eat meat and they don't. No, he, he says there's a potential here to, what's the other word? He's destroy. Destroy somebody. It, it potentially, because of your strong opinions, could actually destroy somebody's walk with Jesus. It could, it could cause them to sin. How could our strong opinions, what we believe, cause harm to another brother or sister who doesn't believe the same way over these things? How, how does it? Well, let's use this, ish, this illustration that Paul used with the church. Some believe they could eat meat. Some believe they, they shouldn't eat meat. So let's say that um, I'm gonna kind of hypothetical this thing out. Let's say a group of Christians in the first century Roman church, they're like, hey, let's go to McDonald's for lunch. And there's no McDonald's after lunch in first century Christianity, but hypothetically, they're all having a meal together. And they're like, I'm going to eat a Big Mac. And it's full of all this stuff that you weren't allowed to eat as a kid. And this one brother here goes, oh, I'm not going to eat that. Oh no, didn't you get Paul's letter? He said, we can eat Big Macs now and a side of fries. It's fine. Come, come eat some. No, I don't think I should eat that Big Mac. And, and they say, well, it's not real meat anyway. But no, I'm just kidding. They didn't say that. And, and he's like, no, no, eat the Big Mac. And all of a sudden, come on, come on, come on, eat. And then all of a sudden, this brother whose conscience says, don't eat the Big Mac. I shouldn't eat the Big Mac. Something feels wrong with me eating that Big Mac. And they said, no, come on and do it anyway. And they peer pressure him into eating that Big Mac. Then all of a sudden, he's violated his conscience. He caved into pressure, the pressure that should have never been there to begin with. And now all of a sudden, he feels like he has sinned before the Lord and his walk is not as genuine. And he's thinking like, maybe I can't be with you guys anymore. I think peer pressure isn't something that just our kids deal with. Peer pressure is just as strong into adulthood as it ever was as a kid. And I think this is the sense, Paul's saying, Listen, you bear some responsibility. If, if you're causing distress over a brother because you have so much freedom to do whatever you want and, and that doesn't impact you in any way, then maybe you're not acting in love toward, towards your brother. You know, another possibility might be that a stronger believer, what I mean is stronger in conscience, I have freedom in Christ. If they're flaunting their freedom in such a way that the other people see that and like, I don't, I don't think that should be happening. So there's a flaunting, so I, I'm not gonna be with you anymore. And I'm just gonna leave altogether. I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave the church. Maybe this Christianity thing isn't for me. There's a lot of ways we can harm somebody by our strong opinions. And the tragedy of that, and this is what Paul points out in our text, the tragedy of that is, is that these are people whom Christ also died for. Christ didn't just die for you. Christ died for them. And if Christ died for them, if he had enough love for them to go to the cross for them, shouldn't we love them as well? This is the heart of this text. It's like we bear responsibility even when we differ in opinions, even if we're right, and they perhaps are not right. Look at verse 16. He, he dives into this even some more. He says, therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, in other words, the kingdom of God is not so much about your strong opinions about non-salvation things. But it's of this. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. 
So Paul is, is, is encouraging, especially the strong, to reorder their priorities such that the, the kingdom values, the things that are most important to God, take precedent over our opinions, our selfish interests, our pleasures, our freedom, all of that stuff. So there's a higher thing happening here than just the way you feel about something. The kingdom of God isn't about your freedom to eat and drink whatever you want, but it's about righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy, Holy Spirit. So Paul's challenging the church. I want you to value righteousness over food. I want you to value peace over your freedom. I, I want you to value harmony within the church over what you feel personally is important in your freedom in Christ. And he's like saying, when you focus on the bigger picture here, then you're gonna find an approval among your fellow brothers and sisters that, is, 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 that pleases our Heavenly Father. Now look at verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort, let me stress this, every effort, every effort, every effort. Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. Did you catch that? It's all fine, but if what you do causes harm to somebody else, that is not fine anymore. It is better instead, verse 21, to not eat meat or drink wine. That was the issue. That was the opinion-driven issue in the church there. So it's just better if you don't eat meat or drink wine or do anything that's gonna cause your brother or sister to fall. So bigger picture, take a step back, say the bigger value here is the kingdom value. And the kingdom value is what leads to peace and harmony. Do you guys enjoy going to the beach? I enjoy a good day at the beach, we're on vacation. You know what's universal when you go to the ocean and you sit on the beach? It's universal everywhere. Any beach you sit on, you're gonna see this. You're gonna see a group of kids building sandcastles. They're gonna be building something in, in the sand. It's every, all the time. Now, isn't it interesting how there's always those kids that want to build the sandcastle and there's always another group of kids who wanna do what? Knock it down, all right? It's universal, you see it everywhere. One kid builds, one kid knocks down. As I think about that, I think it's, it's sad that that often the same thing takes place in the church where you have a group of people who are, are working so hard to build up the body of Christ, while others are knowingly or, or perhaps unknowingly wanting to tear it down. And I think the point is, none of us should ever do anything that's gonna tear down the body of Christ. And so Paul emphasized, you better not do anything to tear down the body of Christ, especially over something as silly as the food that you eat. So he says that while reiterating that all food is clean, the point is, who is not about who is right or who is wrong, but about what is best for everybody involved. So all of this to say, to the, all of this leads to this one question. And this is the question that, that I lay at my feet. It's the question that I lay at your feet as well. The question is this, how willing are we to give up our freedom for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ. How willing are we to do that? Would you be willing to change some things about your daily life and what you think is right or wrong? Would you be willing to make some adjustments 
for your brother, sister in Christ, you may see it differently. So there can be harmony. See, I'll even personalize this down even a little bit further for myself, and maybe you can do the same thing. Like, like as the pastor of this church, if I knew that something that I was involved with, and, and it could be anything, if something that I was involved with in politics, or if I went to a restaurant that had a big bar in it, you know, there's a lot of different feelings about that among Christians, but it, let's say I did that. Or if I took my wife to, to uh, a, a, a concert by a band that wasn't quote unquote Christian, in other words, their, their music's not played on K-Love or Air One. If I knew that something that I was involved with made somebody stop coming to church or following Jesus, then the question becomes, Joe, would you be willing to not be involved with those things for the sake of your brother or sister in Christ who feels differently? Or would I be willing to make those parts a more private side of my life just between me and God? And it's not something the whole world's ever gonna see or know about. Would I be willing to sacrifice some of my quote unquote freedoms for my brother or sister in Christ? And so my question, would you do that? Because that's really at the heart of Romans 14. That's really at the heart of what Peter's ta- or Paul's talking about, the unity in the church. Now, now look at the last two verses that we're going to read together. Verse 22. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Now, this is a very interesting instruction. This is a very interesting kind of guideline for the church. He's like, listen, all of you that feel like you have this freedom, why don't you just keep that stuff to yourself? Now, that's interesting, isn't it? This is like, hey, all of you strong, let's keep those convictions between you and God. He's like, there's no reason for you to feel the need to broadcast your views to everyone who would listen. There's no reason for you on these opinionated, non-salvation issues to try to convince everyone around you that you are right and they are wrong. So maybe it'd be better if you just keep that between you and God. I I think the blessing here at the end of verse 22 is the bottom line for these strong believers. That they should act in such a way, they should be a part of certain things, they should allow themselves to engage in certain behaviors that in no way condemn themselves by what they're approving or practicing. And I think Paul reminds us again in verse 23 that to those of you who are unconvinced about these things, well, if you have doubts, then don't do it. If it violates your conscience, don't ever violate your conscience. So I take all this stuff together, all these verses. What are the principles that we can pull from what Paul is telling us that will help us navigate what I'm calling or what we would call opinion-driven conversation? I see four principles. Four principles that if we will take to heart and we will just kind of overlay them to all of our discussions and our opinions, I think it's going to do a world of good for the unity of the church. So here's these four principles very quickly. There is, first of all, we see in this text, there is this principle of liberty. Principle of liberty. We do have a lot of freedom in Christ. I hope you know that. 
We have a lot of freedom. Christianity is different than following God under the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, if you will. Judaism and Christianity bear a lot of differences. We're not bound up by a lot of the rules that we read about in the Old Testament. We are guided more today as Christians by principle. Now, that's not to say there isn't black and white, right and wrong. I'm not saying the Bible doesn't speak clear. It certainly does. But I'm saying as Christians, we have a lot of freedom in Christ. It is different than first century Judaism. Second principle is this. I would say it's the principle of conscience. It seems that Paul is pointing to that, the principle of conscience. We have a conscience, every last one of us. We should not violate that conscience. We should not encourage anybody else to violate their conscience over these opinion issues. Now, I will say this, that your conscience is not a perfect guide, but it should be respected. You should listen to that little voice inside, should I or should I not do this? And if that little voice says, don't do that, you shouldn't, a Christian shouldn't do that, then don't do it. Even if somebody says, no, this is fine. There's this principle of conscience. We need to think about those things. The third thing is this. There is this, what I call the principle of peace. The principle of peace. We all know that the primary goal of every Christian is to live in peace with their brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I want to say something because I don't want there to be any confusion. It can never be peace at any cost. I don't believe that. It can never be peace at any cost. But it may be peace at great cost of our freedom. And those are two completely different things. Not peace at any cost, but it may be peace at great cost to our freedom for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then the fourth principle that I think we will help us navigate how to maintain peace and unity in the church in the midst of so much opinions Call it this, the principle of silence. The principle of silence. We have, and Paul tells us this in our text, we have the freedom to hold our convictions and to hold our tongues. That's what Paul tells us to do. Now I want to share something with you that might just be revolutionary. This might blow you away. This might be the one thing that you walk out of here today and I'm like, you are not going to believe what I heard at church today. Are you ready? Those of you that have hair, this might just blow it back, okay? Here's this, going to blow you away. This will be worth the cost of a mission for you today. You ready? Everyone doesn't need to know what you think. I'm just let that sink in for just a minute, okay? Thinking about this principle of silence, everyone doesn't have to know what you think, nor do we have to convince others to think like we do. Now, I know that's revolutionary in the day that we live in where we have social media and we have access to 24 hours a day news and in an instant we can be connected to thousands of people who can know exactly what we think and that we can try to convince in many multiple forms and but I think it would be wise of us as Christians to really think about this principle of silence. Not everybody has to know what we think. And we certainly don't have to convince everybody to think like us. And I wonder how our relationships, how our unity, even right here at our church, might just get a little better if we really apply this principle on opinion things here are some things that uh, I would like to also say because I don't want there to be any confusion whatsoever. 
Right doctrine and practice matters immensely and it matters eternally. I hope you know that. Right doctrine and practice matters immensely and eternally. Paul, nowhere in our text, is encouraging us to accept any professing Christian regardless of what he or she may believe about things. He's not telling us to do that. I can tell you one of the challenges of of being a Christian today has to do with determining those things that are essential and those things that are disputable matters. Because where we draw that line is gonna be a little bit different for everybody. And that that is one of the, the challenges of being a Christian today. What exactly are the essentials? And what are the disputable? And sometimes people put the disputable matters into essential and sometimes they don't. So where do we draw the line? You know, there's several different camps on this. There are those who would say, I, I would call them, they're gonna be more the minimalist. In other words, they would swing over here and they'd say, you know what, we have freedom in Christ on everything. You believe whatever you want. God loves everybody. You love God. Believe whatever. The Bible, yeah, whatever it says, it's fine. But you know what, do what you feel is right. And you know, this is the atmosphere. This is the environment that breeds progressivism and it's wrong. That, that's that side of it. The pendulum can swing way over here though and we'll call this the, the maximalist. And, and, and their laundry list of do's and don'ts and rules is so long. They're, the amount of I's that needs to be crossed and, the, and, the, and dotted and T's crossed, it's so long. Nobody could live up under their set of guidelines of how to be a Christian. So obviously their essentials would be huge. So where do we fall? I'm gonna share something with you that has been a restoration movement mantra for many, many years. Our church was born out of the restoration movement. And it's actually much broader than that, and I think some of you have heard of this before, but I'm gonna tell you where I think a good place for us to land, it would be this. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Sometimes people say, in all things, love. Well, what does that mean? Well, in essential things, We've got to have unity. And what are the essential things? We're talking about the core doctrines of the Bible, the thou shalt nots of the Bible. We're talking about things that are clearly black and white. We're talking about who God is and what he did as the creator God and who is Jesus and what is the Holy Spirit and what is sin and what divides man from God and what is sin. How do we reconcile ourselves with God? What was the work of Jesus on the cross and how does somebody get saved? And it's the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. The essential things, friends, we shall have unity on. But on the non-essential things, things where nobody's salvation is connected to it, and maybe the Bible isn't exactly super clear on those things, then why don't we have a little bit of grace and liberty with one another, not make those things test of fellowship. But in all things, no matter what, we should act in charity and love towards everybody. And that's, that's what we should do. I, I think it's important that, to point out something that, that Paul did not say in Romans 14. Nowhere in this chapter does Paul say that those who have a weaker conscience or don't feel the freedom to do what the other Christians are doing, nowhere does Paul say you have to change your mind. Do you realize that? He never tells them they have to change. He doesn't have to berate them. He doesn't say, why are you so small-minded? Get with the program. He doesn't say any of those things. And that's usually our reaction when somebody sees things differently than us. Like, well, you better change your mind. You better get on the right team, you know? You you better start thinking the right way or we can't be brothers in Christ anymore. 
I, I don't think there's any doubt that Paul challenges the church to be fully educated about the gospel and to take it seriously and all the implications and to know God's word and to pray. But I think Paul is also wise enough to know that there is a time and a place for all of these things. But he doesn't say you gotta change your mind on these opinionated things. You can still accept one another if you don't agree. I, I, you know, whether you say it or not, we all have traditions. We all have things that are important to us. You say, well, I don't have any traditions. Yes, you do. You've just never written them down. You've never take time to think about them. And you usually do when something comes up against that. It's like, that's not right. But we all have those things. We all have those preferences. And many of those things go back to our childhood and what we were raised with and what we saw in our parents. We have those things. Friends, even in this church, we all got different opinions on things. But if those things, if they're not contrary to the gospel, and if those strong opinions don't hinder the work of the church, then I think Paul's counsel to us today would be this. Let's tolerate these differences that we have in each other. Let's focus on the bigger picture of righteousness, peace, and, 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 and harmony. And, and that would do us a, a world of good. So what are these opinionated things? Well, the list is thousands and thousands long because we're all different. You know, some of the easy ones would be to say, you know, uh, have you ever had a conversation with another Christian say, hey, what kind of worship do you like in church? Boy, there, that's a whole conversation um, filled with lots of different opinions. Somebody, I love the traditional hymns. I wish we'd bring back the, the organ and the hymnals. That's what I want. And I was like, no, I, I wouldn't even come here if we had that. I like the traditional stuff. I like the amplified music. I like the drums to make my ribs rattle. That's what I like in worship. I don't like that. Oh, my ears hurt. I, there, listen. You want to talk about opinions, just talk about worship preferences in church. Friends, I don't believe that should be a thing that divides the church. You know, another one, have you ever been to a church? Maybe you came here from a church, this is not how we are, but if you come from a church where we are a King James Version only church, and if you preach or read anything other than the King James, it's not the Bible. Has anybody ever said something to you? Hey, the King James Version, if it was good enough for Jesus, it was good enough for me. And so, you may have to think about that for a minute. Oh man, Christians can divide quickly over whether we should or shouldn't use the King James Version of the Bible or more modern translation. Should Christians drink alcohol? Or should they go to a restaurant that had a big bar in it? I can tell you right now that right here at New Life, we are not all on the same page on that subject. Would it surprise you, would it surprise you that right here the Christians at New Life don't think the same about what your relationship with alcohol should be? Now obviously we know what the essential is. The Bible says what? Don't get drunk. There's no disagreement there. It is in black and white, don't get drunk. But then Christians have asked, well, can I drink in moderation? Can I have a glass of wine with my steak at some restaurant? And, and, and our opinions vary throughout that whole conversation. You know, one Christian would say, I would never ever think about taking my family to a restaurant that had a bar in it. And then another Christian would say, I wouldn't even go to a restaurant that didn't have a bar. Where are we? You have one Christian who would say, no good Christian would ever listen to secular music. In fact, if I were to get in your car and press the preset button on your radio and it tuned into any other station that wasn't Christian, that would make me question your commitment to Jesus. 
And then others would be like, oh man, I love all kinds of music. I'm a kind of a music buff. I like this and this and this and this. I didn't connect the dot that that was a problem for anybody. You know, I mentioned this one last week, but there are some Christians right here in our church family that Christians should not go see rated R movies. That's, that violates something. And, and, and other Christians wouldn't even think about it. Oh, I didn't even look at the rating before I bought my ticket. I could give you a thousand examples of things that tend to divide the church. And let me just emphasize that, that, that uh, this important principle that no one should ever violate their conscience and none of us should ever encourage another brother or sister in Christ to violate their conscience either. I want to say one more thing. I know we're a little bit long. Maybe you can apologize to all of our wonderful New Life Kids leaders downstairs for me taking up more time. But I want you to hear this. God is always right. But I am not always right. And that's important. God is always right. And you are not always right. God is right about all things. And while we try to think like God thinks, behave like God wants us to behave, we've got to remember that we're not always right. And we've got to show some love and some graciousness to those who just see things a little bit different than us. So what are these principles? Let me get them to you quickly. What's clear in Romans 14 is let's be careful never to judge others or look down on them over these opinion things. Secondly, let's be careful to never put a stumbling block or a pitfall in the way of our brother or sister. Let's not be in the business of tearing them down. Let's not tear down the work of Christ in anybody's life. Let's be careful to never violate our conscience or encourage someone else to violate their conscience. And I think if we will take these guiding principles as we navigate a world that is wrought with opinions and just say, we're gonna let God judge his servants then I think we're going to enjoy a kind of fellowship together that's going to be uh, avoid all the unnecessary conflicts. And it gives us the opportunity to focus on the higher values of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Friends, I'm just going to tell you straight up, the last thing that I would ever want to see happen here at New Life is for us to turn our church into a playground for the devil. And you know how that happens? It's when Christians can't get along. And when Christians can't get along, that's the opportunity for the devil to come in and make a mess of a church family. You know what I am grateful for? I am grateful that we are a unified church. I am grateful that even through all of this mess that we've been in in 2020 and we've been spread out and we haven't seen each other as regularly as often, I am thankful that we are still a unified church. Our eyes are on Jesus. We're going where he wants us to go. But friends, the conflicts of the world want to become the conflicts of the church. And we need to commit today, we're gonna to love our brothers and sisters and we're not going to allow that in here. No place for the devil here. We're gonna kick him out the second we see a sign of his presence. And I hope you are with me on that 100%. I hope Romans 14 has challenged you. I think it's a very appropriate chapter of the Bible for what's happening in our world today. Can I pray for you? Dear Lord, I just thank you for our church family. I thank you, Lord, for the unity we have as believers here. Lord, I pray 
that we will always have unity on essential things. Lord, I pray that we express great liberty and love towards one another when we just see differently about things. Lord, in, in all things, I pray that we will show love and compassion and care for one another regardless. Lord, I thank you that you died on the cross for our sins, washing away a slew of sinful behavior, opening up heaven for all who would be willing to come by faith. Lord, help us as a church to keep our eyes on what's really important, to keep our eyes on the prize for which you have called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. Lord, you are always right, but we are not always right. So Lord, help us to get on the same page with you in all things. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.